Hey Carl, just calling in. I figured out what we forgot to talk about and that was the fact that there was also a language barrier. Quite a bit of the time they were speaking in Spanish and there were no subtitles. So either you needed to know Spanish or you picked up the meaning of what they were discussing based on the actions that the characters took. Anyways, just thought I'd point that out. Welcome to the Geomologist Presents. I have a couple call-ins. That first call-in was from my wife, Amy, who is reminding me a little tidbit about Treasure of the Sierra Madre. We put out a podcast and YouTube podcast on the subject, uh, which has been gotten some got some call-ins for that one. But uh, this one, I didn't feel like I, would, I was going to put Amy's call-in in that episode for the next review, which is going to be for high noon, come out in a couple of weeks, maybe a week and a half. Um, but uh, we, uh, anyway, that was a thing that we wanted to mention, but forgot to mention the fact that there were no subtitles uh, in the game. And I have a little blurb about that uh, from, I think, oh, hold on, from Denny Ledger, who's a film critic and biographer, historian, critic in his new book. And he says that John Huston's film broke every rule that existed. It was bleak. There is no genre, no love story, no women, no happy ending, a downbeat one by all accounts. There are Mexican actors who spoke Spanish and not English. And one of the main characters also speaks a fair deal of Spanish and no subtitles. So yeah, that was, it kind of broke uh, the idea for what a movie should be at the time. And I guess it was well received. So, so there you go. Um, but cool stuff. So today I have some more call-ins. I have call-ins from Jason Connerly. And then I'm going to talk about a recent Twilight 2000 uh, session, which went really smoothly. You know that sat the adage, from, I think probably from Klaus Witz and also Sun Tzu, that, uh, you know, as soon as, you know, you can plan as much. It's not an, I don't know what the exact words of the adage is, but the gist of it is you can plan as much as you want for an engagement but plans go out the window as soon as you start. So um, maybe someone, maybe I'll find the exact quote. Hold on. Well, I'll give you a couple of quotes that I found. One from Sun Tzu that says, let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night, and when you move, fall like a thunderbolt. And also one from Dwight D. Eisenhower. So in preparing for battle, I've always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. So I think that concept came to fruition I know it's a game, it's not real war, but in the operation, I guess I'm calling it the airfield operation, it might have, be called, might have called Operation Heinz Cradle. Anyway, because uh, mainly the, I think I'll call it Operation Heinz Cradle because they were really trying to take the airfield so they could re-equip a Heinz DMI-24 helicopter that they'd run across uh, the survivors had run across the Free Krakow Coalition. Well, it was actually, it doesn't really belong to them, but it belongs to their sort of erstwhile allies, this uh, group of Soviet uh, Air Force uh, troop, or yeah, I guess it's an Air Force troop that uh, is run, is uh, commanded by a Captain 
Volkov. So, uh, so yeah, I'll get into that. It, 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 it went beautifully well. I'm shocked. I'll talk about my process on how, um, how there are many chances for it to go awry, but it, uh, luck and planning and especially execution uh, went really well. And I mean, it always ultimately it's up to the die roll, right? And I think that really highlighted how sometimes, you know, yes, a plan is great, but if the, your dice fail you, well, it can go out the window. And in this case, it really didn't go out the window. So anyway, uh, first, we're going to start talking with Jason Connerly and discussing a couple calls that he gave. Carry on my wayward son, there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest, don't you cry no more. Hey Carl, Jason here. I didn't mention it when I called in earlier about your latest episode, but... I do want to say it's cool that you're doing more homebrew stuff and that you're doing more of your own adventures. I think that's really awesome. I know in the past I've given you a hard time, you know, mostly tongue-in-cheek, mostly joking, on running set adventures and the idea of being stuck with the, the world that the authors have written instead of doing your own world. And I know you've always kind of done your own world and kind of done your own adventures. I remember The Broken Lands, which was such an awesome campaign. It'd be great to be able to revisit that, but yeah, it's very cool that you're you're moving off doing more of your own stuff and like with cons now you're you're well you've run your own adventures and cons before but you're you're doing that again and so very very cool I'm very excited. Hopefully 2024 is going to be an awesome RPG year for you. I'm excited to follow along with you as it goes. Hey Carl, Jason here. Just listened to episode 234. Great great discussion. I think later in the episode where BJ is talking about the ability to run a domain game and do something like Gary did nowadays using social media and having different groups in the world and all, I do I agree with BJ. I think it's very possible, but you would have to have a DM that's willing to concentrate on that. You, you know, if they're playing different games every night of the week, they wouldn't be able to manage a campaign like that because, you, you know, their attention is going to be divided. I think it would have to take a DM that is dedicated to that campaign, and that's what they're running. So they have that availability throughout the week to do those couple pickup games and interact with people offline and do the forum stuff and, and not be interrupted by other games. But I, I agree with BJ. I, I think it's a very possible thing. And it would be really neat if somebody w would do that and had the ability to do that. But... You know, it's a lot to ask of somebody. So, anyhow, great discussion, great talk. I look forward to what you do next. Take care. So, I'm Gorilla Podcasting today. I'm not on the computer using Audacity. I'm just recording from the phone, mainly because Joe Richter said that the my new phone sounds really good. So, and it looks like it when I look at the uh, the little waveform that you get when you're recording. It looks pretty good. I mean, I hope it sounds good. Um, I'm sure someone will let me know privately if it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, so thank you for those calls, Jason. You know, thank you for the encouragement. I really am trying to do more of my own thing. I know uh, it is, it, it's, one would say maybe it's lazy to use other people's adventures, but you know, I like to support the companies. I like the adventures. 
and and really it it takes about just as much work because you still got to read the adventure. I mean, look at all the work that Joe Richter has put into Wrath of the Righteous, and like I'm prepping for Blood Lords, uh, Pathfinder Two, ERPG. I've been prepping, and I've always prepped for Enemy Within, the ongoing campaign we're running, and uh, and we're running in TTK. We're running through the, um, the sort of the European, the first European tetralogy. Uh, we and we're on book. Well, technically book three, but we've already done book four. We did Black Madonna already. So I'm running through those, but but I think T2K adventures are their own little beast. They're more like they're more like this is this is like a more of a they're more of like gazetteer style. This is what's going on. Your players can deal with this. There's nearly no like set adventure. There's just things that could happen if you go through this hex or that hex. And a lot of it is generated randomly. So I don't know if that's really that's kind of more the style I like. I really enjoyed Broken Lands. And I did use some a few published things. Actually, the actually I'm trying to think. The only thing I used that was published was the first adventure that I started with in Dungeon, and then it kind of took off from there. So, um, and that everything else after that was sort of spontaneous. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I, I'm glad I've gotten back to that. I really enjoyed recently, like my Octune Cthulhu game, where I just kind of um, rolled randomly on some tables in the from the GM screen booklet that came with it and I generated a random adventure in a random location and just ran with it and it really wasn't a set piece and I kind of spontaneously came up with or reacted to what the players were doing um good or bad so so it's, and it's been pretty fascinating where it, we haven't because it's like our backup game we haven't jumped back to it but uh, they're like at the end point uh, of it so I'm pretty excited about that. And I've really enjoyed running stuff at cons and doing my own thing. And I think I'm going to try to do more of my own thing because I, I, I was on the Discord. Someone said, oh, someone, you know, because I guess, for example, the theme at Chupacabra Con is horror. Call of Cthulhu is going to have a strong presence there, but I don't want to run like every single same adventure that all the Call of Cthulhu Cult of Chaos is going to run. I'm going to run my own thing. It's my own Delta Green thing, my own Call of Cthulhu thing, probably my own Savage Worlds thing. And maybe a T2K game or something. Or Walking Dead is probably what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my own Walking Dead thing set in Central Texas. I got my all that stuff. And that's been pretty fun. That that game design, sure, I might use a shared world or a published world. But I like I like doing my own thing, making my own adventures. And plus, uh, that helps uh, with people, spoilers and stuff like that. Um, people who, I mean, there's so much media out there. And sometimes, I don't think people do it on purpose. But they'll watch, you know, like a actual play. And they go, oh, that's the adventure my GM is running. Oops. You know, so I, I, you know, I don't think anyone does it like on purpose, but sometimes that happens. So it's better to run kind of your own thing. And I've take, taken inspiration from people like Hobbs and from, um, from Dungeon Musings, uh, Madison. So uh, Kevin Madison and, uh, and kind of seen what they do. And he's also, Kevin Madison has also stayed away from um, published adventures, I think possibly for for some of these reasons, but he's very creative and he likes to do his own thing. And it's been very fun. And Hobbs has always done his own thing. Right. So, so I think that those two guys have really helped to inspire me to keep going. Same with Joe Salvador, uh, who's you know, working on, who's a Raven God games and working on Weaver. And they've really helped me a lot to, to, to be inspired by the world and the gaming uh, world around me and come up with my own thing. And I've gotten pretty good feedback, uh, like my Delta Green has been really fun that I, you know, emergency stent and then uh, surfing Costa Rica have been really great and gotten good feedback. My 
crazy pulp medieval game. Bone Bone Collectors has done really well. Uh, so uh, so yeah, I got got some good stuff coming. And T2K has always been really cool. I I I did like a shared universe thing, and I guess this kind of segues into your next call, Jason. That shared universe would be really neat to do in like T2K. Right, especially if we have a group that wants to go to America and a group that wants to stay in Europe, it's still the same verse and you play the same things. I don't know if one will affect the other, but it's still kind of cool to know that it's like a shared universe and there's a shared history there. And I think that might happen sooner than later. So uh, I'm going to talk about T2K in the the main segment of this podcast. But uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think that's a great idea. I mean, even so, for example, I ran a T2K game at a con that now is going to affect uh, the campaign uh, the main campaign so i think i can do fun stuff like that i'm doing another one here at bsrcon as well so so i think it's a great idea uh, to do and just come up with my own things um so thank you for that encouragement and yeah like i said a shared world would be really great or yeah a, a, and i think broken land was like that too it had it had multiple iterations and i guess i could do that but it would have to be the dedicated one and you'd have to have like like hobbs does with kamada multi, more than one session uh, for that that type of game, right, where different players, possibly maybe the same player with different characters, could join in and jump in. And I think like a game like AD and D, especially if you're strict about the training and how training works, kind of like what M.W. Lewis does, um, or um, BX are extremely conducive to that. A game like Walking Dead could be very conducive to that. Same with T2K. So uh, I think that's a great idea, uh, Jason. So thank you for those calls. So next up, I'm gonna get you with a unboxing if you don't like unboxings but they're pretty fun products and i'm excited about it and i haven't done an unboxing for a while i'm not going to dwell on them much i'm just going to unbox i'm not even going to um, undo the shrink wraps on them i might talk about them the games in a separate uh, podcast but if you don't like unboxings you can skip ahead about eight minutes and get to the meat of the podcast thanks again jason for the call All right, I was going to save this for later and maybe not unbox on the podcast, but I got two packages. I think they're from the same company, but I have no idea. I'm going to unbox them here. I have some other things to unbox that I want to do maybe live on the YouTube. Um, but these, I guess I'm going to unbox here for you guys on the podcast. Okay, the first box is... It is... I don't know. I, I might... One of the boxes is really heavy, by the way, but this other box is not so heavy. It seems like legit. I wonder if they have the weight. I wish they would have the weights on them. I'm sure they do somewhere. I just cannot see. So what is the weight of this box? Um, okay. The I guess zone 5, 14 pound rate. It's not 14 pounds, though. But it's a medium male rate. So this box is um, 10 inches, which is 26 centimeters by 13 inches which is about 33 centimeters and it is somewhat thick it is about five inches thick or about 12 centimeters thick so let's open it up my cat my new cat jewel is getting in the way um he likes to rub up against the boxes sit on my uh my tape measure that i'm using and try to hide the box cutter, which you shouldn't because it might be dangerous for poor Jewel. And that's Jewel spelled J-O-U-L-E. 
So after the unit of energy and the English physicist James Prescott Joule, I guess that's where his name comes from. I think Amy might think it's spelled J-E-W-E-L, like gems, jewels, but I spell it J-O-U-L-E. Anyway, let's open this first box. Alright, the box has a bubble wrap, not packing peanuts, which is nice. Oh, wow. Okay. That's what I thought this was. I don't know what the second one is. So this is like all the stuff for the Cowboy Bebop role-playing game, which I am excited to get and to run. Actually, I'm already, uh, already like it, or I don't know if impressed is a word, but I already like the fact, I thought it was going to be, I thought they're going to be smaller books. Uh, but this is eight and a half by ten. I got the deluxe cover. I will probably take a picture of this as well. It's a Cowboy Bebop role-playing game. Um, I got the faux uh, faux leather. I think this is the one with the the red faux leather cover. It also has a quick start in print and the screen with some cool art on it as well. And these are all shrink-wrapped. I don't know if I'll get to opening the shrink-wraps. Uh, but it also comes with some little fun things as well. I got a I got a die set. I got an iron die set. So it has iron on the six, it looks like. And I got a swordfish two die set. And that's what the cover is. It's like the sword, it's a red cover with the swordfish and a trail of exhaust coming out like as the lines. Very nice actually. Uh, I will take a picture and post it. Uh, swordfish dice, so it's two, four, six. Two, four, six, eight, nine dice. It's interesting. Nine dice. And then it has a swordfish on the six. And then I have uh, Wulong Poker Chips. Uh, I guess I got that as part of the deluxe set. So that's also, all this is shrink wrapped, but pretty cool. I'm not going to open it. Maybe I will. I mean, like I said, I'll show pictures of this stuff. But um, yeah, maybe I will save that for a later date. Um, so I wonder what the second one is. So Jewel is uh, scratching or rubbing his face against the box. Now he took off, but he was rubbing his face against the box, was curious about the dice. Maybe he thinks they're toys, but uh, he has stepped off, which is good. So package number two. Okay, like I said, this box is about uh, one foot, uh, 12 and a half inches, so 32 centimeters by 10 inches, about 16 centimeters. It is about three inches thick, so about uh, seven centimeters. And it's pretty heavy. That's why I was confused as to what this might be. Um, it also does come from Italy. I did some tracking, so I thought, oh, maybe is this the Cowboy Bebop? But then I did tracking on the other box, and I'm like, oh, that's probably the Cowboy Bebop. So I have no idea what this is. So some other thing from Italy. So Mana Project or Riot Mines or something like that. So I'm going to open it. It's very well packed, and like I said, very heavy. A lot of tape on it. You have to almost saw with the box cutter. Almost, because it is a very good box cutter. All right, so here it's opening. Oh man, I did not know this was coming. That is very cool. So this is Farsight. So it's a 5E derived, a 5E derived, sci-fi setting. It's got a lot of fun stuff in here. Um, wow. 
Okay, packed pretty tight. But Farsight, so Farsight is a science fiction role-playing game. Um, I, it looks like I have a screen somewhere. Yep, I have a screen somewhere. Um, and a map of known space. A, some little, a few little poster art thingies. A bookmark. A uh, edge card deck. And then the two books. There's a Farsight core book and Chronicles on the Edge, an adventure book. And the adventure book is pretty substantial. Um, the adventure book, I did not even know this was coming. I guess I didn't. The adventure book is three, clocks in at 303 pages. Lots of adventures. I guess it's adventures called Chronicles from the Edge. So I figure Chronicles is adventures. Oh, actually, it's extras. It's new character options, new game master options, alternative horizons, the atlas of the campaign sagas. Yeah, there are scenarios in here and adventures. Um, and then allies and foes. So it's the bestiary and then an appendix. So that's what, what clocks in. So this is pretty exciting. Um, I, this is one of those kind of space opera games that's not Star Wars, etc. that I've really been interested in getting to the table. I mean, it's like what I, I mean, I played Starfinder, I like Starfinder a lot, but this is like a, and I was been waiting for Grimmer Space, which has been, uh, well, that project has been really slow to develop. And uh, this is like an alternative uh, third-party verse that looked really good. has some very compelling alien species that one can play. Uh, really a neat, beautiful map. Um, I think they did a lot of planning and world-building uh, for Farsight. So it looks really exciting, and I'm glad I finally got it. So very cool. So kind of space opera vibe uh, in the packaging, in the packages today. So um, now I guess I will not be talking about space opera. I definitely want to talk about uh, my traveler game at some point, but um, that might be like how to run a murder mystery in a game. And I might get a guest on to talk about that. And then, um, yeah. So we're going to switch gears to talk about uh, how... Twilight 2000 is a pretty cool game. Imagine a cool mid-September Polish evening, or actually early morning. It's about 2.30 a.m. September 17th of the year 2000, four years into World War III, the war that seems to have ended all wars. The Free Krakow Coalition is in various groups, five different teams around and viewing an airfield, an old Polish Air Force airfield outside, maybe two kilometers outside of Minsk, Mazowiecki. Mazowiecki. That's how you pronounce that. So team one consists of Kasia, St. Florian, and five Polish soldiers, six Polish army soldiers out of Lubulin. Team two are First Sergeant, Staff Sergeant Turnoff, PFC Ronson, and the woman tank driver, Signe V, from Aubrey's crew of the M113. Team three 
are Sergeant Grunts and three Marines. Team four. It looks like Team four is the M113, Aubrey Granville, Liam Oliver, Kylie Fuentes. Team five is the Spapanzer looks commanded by Rupert Kuhn and his crewmen, Braun, Kemp, and Stroman. And Team six is the BMP driven by Diaz and also carrying Anna Rolf and seven of the Siliash militia. There are also some Siliash militia with Rupert's team as well. And these guys coming from the ruins of Warsaw, they want to help get that convoy that the Black Baron, um, well, it hasn't reached the Black Baron yet, but he, apparently this convoy that is coming to the Black Baron by all reports through various lines of intelligence has some chemical rounds for a howitzer that is in the possession of the Black Baron and the players want to stop it. Their first step though is to take this airfield and they're taking this airfield at the request of a Captain Volkov who has an MI-24 Hind D. The Hind D needs a refueling and some touch-up and it needs to be armed with weapons that are apparently in the hangar of this airfield. So if you look upon this airfield, it's very quiet. Uh, there are a couple sentries that the Free Krakow Coalition sentry, uh, spotters see on you know walking around the tarmac. They have radios, handheld radios. The Team 2, who's the closest to the airfield, can hear Ukrainian folk music coming out of one of the hangars. It seems that these men have had a party. GM note. Ahead of time, I drew a card for the disposition of these people guarding the airfield. They are part of the second or third free company, depending when you read, where you read in the Ruins of Warsaw book that served the Black Baron, Baron Zarni. The company is consists of the Soviet 9th Tank Division. They are known to be experienced and very well equipped, being the only other unit at the Baron's disposal with armored vehicles. Here on the airfield, they have two BTR-70s and a T-72 tank. One of the objectives of the Free Krakow Coalition, Team 2's objective specifically, is to capture that tank. Team 1 is to go in and cut the head off the snake, kill what they viewed as they, who they viewed as the leader and the headquarters of, of this group of the Black Barons and Marauders who are here holding the airfield. It not, might not be the whole group, but uh, most of the group, it seems. They're probably, they counted when they reconned the other day, about 30, 35 men here on site at the airfield. So how did we get here? here at 2.30 a.m. Well, the players, after getting the, coming back and joining up the last time, sharing the intel, decided to move out quickly. Uh, who knows if there are spies in Minsk, Mazoviki. So they went fast, uh, took a rest, loaded up, geared up, and took off, arriving um, at Minsk maybe close to midnight. But they had already got permission to go into the town and uh, here is that the uh, howitzer is stationed um, at the edge of the town and the other vehicles keep moving on. 
Now, because I rolled, or I didn't roll, I dealt, like I was saying, a card to assess the disposition of the group, and I rolled the two of aces. And what that tells us is that tells us that the NPC's motivation is weakly geared towards violence. So my interpretation of that is, well, they must have been celebrating something or having a party or gotten into their liquor stores, and they're not very vigilant this evening. So we start the conflict. What happens first, I believe, and then there are some prearranged notations. They're keeping radio silence, the Free Krakow Coalition, there's some pre, um, pre-planned notions as they get into place that once they're in position, they're going to click once on the, over the, the frequency that they're all uh, geared towards or have set to. And then when they complete their operation, at least Team 1 and Team 2 are going to signal with two clicks because those are the two most important operation or sub-operations that need to be completed here. Uh, in Operation Heinz Cradle uh, to get and capture the airfield. So I don't know if I'm going to go round by round, but I will go and tell you what the teams did. So Team 1, they kind of start the uh, the conflict where Ren St. Florian, the man, the enigmatic commando, Polish commando that they rescued in Szczestyshova, who has an interesting past, apparently we learned last time, that he's got some soccer skills. Hmm, so what was his backstory before the war? That remains to be seen. Anyway, he is a commando. He's a good sniper. He takes a shot at the man on the roof of what they have learned is the fuel depot who has was manning an AEGS-17, which is a Soviet uh, automatic grenade launcher. I mean, this these guys are heavily armed. There are four different gun emplacements, two RPKs, each with two men each and two AGS-17s at various locations. Um, Overwatching or guarding the compound, they have seen that there are someone guarding or on duty at each of these gun embankments. And there's another, here's another place where I rolled for luck uh, is a random roll that I've devised, kind of a D6 when it's 50-50 and then modified depending. And uh, because I had gotten that card, I deduced that maybe one of these guys was on, on was awake, and the other guy was kind of resting, um, and just in case sleeping, um, and if conflict happened, then the other guy would wake him up, and see what happened. But uh, yeah, so that's what I rolled that, and that's what happened. So on these, there's only one guy on the AGS that Ren was siding up, but on the other ones there were two individuals, one on station, one just there um, as backup and asleep. Florian takes him out. Kasha moves towards the headquarters, or they think that the headquarters is stationed, and the Polish troops follow follow her as she gives a signal. Uh, so far, so good. It's quiet. Florian shoots the man. It's a lethal shot in the side. And the man crumples over. So, uh, meanwhile, Team 2 creeps their way up. Oh, they also have three... Oh, they also have six people from... The, of the locals, some Minsk, uh, Moscoviki locals who are acting as scouts, but um, they're banking on the fact that these free Krakow coalition folks are have skills and they're going to be held in reserve. So hopefully they won't be in the conflict. 
So meanwhile, the other three groups, four groups kind of remain hidden, though I think the Marines start creeping up to one of the uh, what they thought think are living quarters, um, living quarters and offices. And there's a gun emplacement on it. They don't know where people are bivouacked, but uh, they do see this gun emplacement. And their task is to with grunts acting as overwatch to um, take out that gun emplacement. Gun, Grunt sights the man in and um, I think takes the shot, takes out the gunner, and then I roll to see if the other man awakes. And I ask the player at this point, this is in GM note number two, I ask the player at this point, higher or lower? So you choose your fate. The man guessed right, the person guessed right who was running this character, and his companion who was there on watch, the sniper shot. They're all 50-50. The man stays asleep at his post. As a guy slumps over, doesn't slump over onto him, slumps to the side or away from him. And the Marines make it into the office area without any issue. So the men, the, everyone's in place, and then they go. Kasha sneaks in. She can hear, it seems like the sentry, one of the sentries is talking to the boss. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they saw something. I can't remember if someone if they saw something or they were suspicious. One sentry man is kind of walking towards the edge of the of the runway and looks kind of looks sick. Um, it is a, a clear night and the visibility, according to the Twilight 2000 rules, it seems that one can see about 90 meters uh, on this type of in this type of dim lighting. Apparently, you see, you see like there's some you know lights that are on around the hangar, uh, so the lighting is generally dim. But there's no cloud cover um, that I thought that was going to bode ill for the attackers, but it didn't seem to matter. So team one, Kasha hears the voice of the leader talking to one of the sentries, but she goes in, stabs him in the back of the head, the guy and grabs his mouth to make sure he doesn't cry out. The Polish troops uh, run in and stab two guardsmen, two sleeping guards, uh, take them out. Uh, St. Florian climbs to the top and takes possession of the grenade launcher uh, just in case he needs to. He's going to be up there on Overwatch with sniper rifle or grenade launcher just in case. Um, everyone else holds their position. They're waiting for Team 2 to get to where they're going to get. So Team 2 runs up there, uh, turn off, uh, and the tanks, so it's a cool night. Um, since these guys are kind of being lax on their duties, the all the hatches... So probably the crew are sleeping inside uh, the tank, although in hindsight, that seems like not logical. They probably would be sleeping outside the tank. Anyway, I had them in the tank, but the tanks are open to get the cool air. Um, yeah, I watched some YouTube videos since about how these things are kind of situated or configured, and you'd be hard-pressed to sleep. Well, I guess in the BTRs, you could probably have the crew sleep inside. Um in the back where normally they're, they're passengers, but the tank, I, would be hard pressed, uh, because of the way the T-72 is, and, and a lot of room is taken up by the autoloader, uh, so I don't know, maybe they're sleeping on the tank. Anyway, it does not matter, uh, Turnov and Ronson, with incredible stealth rolls, make it to the yaks that are there, they see that they've been shot up, but maybe not, not completely damaged, the yaks are training, Soviet training planes, because uh, there's a couple here. Uh, there also is on the airfield as well, um, crashed in the woods nearby, and what 
where team um, the the two vehicles, the BMB BMP two and the M one thirteen, are kind of hiding in the woods, already in the woods, um, kind of using a big ANC AN twelve, a large Soviet cargo plane that crashed here, kind of for cover. Um, it doesn't seem that the guards ever paid attention to it or pay attention to it because it's kind of a ruin. Um, so ruins are generally speaking ignored if you can't get any any loot or gear from them. So they kind of use this as cover for the other two teams in the woods. Um, so it looks like Kasha's operation is going really well. Um, she then stabs the man in the back to finish him and gives him one click. Meanwhile, the tank, uh, the crew that's supposed to get the tank move into position. Um, Bronson and Chernov um, move up and deal with the crew. Um, Bronson, or sorry, Chernov takes one out. Bronson goes into the tank and stabs another. Cigna, just in case this one guard on the tarmac could, might see anything, takes a shot with a sniper rifle, and Cigna just shoots him in the neck, kills him instantly. Uh, so far, so good. They've taken the tank. Chernov signals two clicks. And then it's on. Really, I mean, I, the Spotpanzer looks under Rupert, moves up. The M113 and the BMP ro start rolling up. No one sees anything. Um, so Florian and Grunt start taking out the other two gun emplacements before all the noise hits again. Ask them to roll higher or lower. They take out the gunner, but the sleeping man stays asleep. The Marines take the position, grab, get on, one gets on the RPK. The other Marines move into the compound, the other two, to kind of see what's going on. And uh, the Polish group, the Polish soldiers move to the hangar, uh, open fire on these uh, Baron Zarni marauders and take out a lot of them in the first hangar. The other two decide that they don't want to really... One maybe wants to fight, the other one definitely doesn't want to fight. Um, of course, by this time, the BTR crew is awakened. Uh, Rupert has a spot Panzer looks open fire on one. Um, so there's like a small shootout or firefight between the spot Panzer looks and the BTR. The BTR does hit and penetrate the spot Panzer looks, but only destroys the radio. And I think Rupert is, kisses the radio because it was lucky, because uh, usually the commander is right on the radio, so that could have hurt Rupert. Um, it was cool that Rupert also was checking the frequencies while people were sneaking in, and was able to listen in on the uh, on the uh, sentry and the leader of this uh, marauder group talking, which is kind of interesting, and maybe that helped Takasha to home in on where this guy was before she stabbed him in the back of the neck and, and then in the back. Uh, meanwhile, the sentry sees the M113 rolling up. So the gunner on the M113, I think it was probably Aubrey at that time, as uh, for, uh, Second Lieutenant Oliver uh, was driving and not so great. So he, that M2HB opens up, the 50 cal opens up, annihilates that guy, and uh, that is definitely heard and starts waking people up. The, the tank rolls into position, though, and before the second BTR can get its act together, um, Ronson takes a shot using the fancy autoloader, presses APF-DS on it, 
and destroys a BTR-70 with one shot. He did not use a heat round because he didn't want to get his Polish allies, um, Polish allies of convenience perhaps, because I'm sure they fought on different sides of the war um, as early as the spring um, in the Battle of Kalit. In any case, uh, it's this mop-up duty. Chernov gets on, on, the, on the bullhorn that the T-72 has. Yes, it does have an external and internal intercom. And he asks those men to surrender. Uh, Webb on the RPK Marine takes out the sleeping men on the, uh, on the top of the hangar. Um, I think Florian fired at the BTR-70 as well, uh, damaging it, and eventually uh, the Spapanzer looks in the exchange with the first BTR, destroys it, or kills the men inside. Um, I think one might have... No, I think killed both of them, both of the crewmen, or the three crewmen that were inside. And, um, and then that's it. Those men who have not been shot at, who are just waking up, don't have their guns, don't have their, their ballistic vests on, uh, they surrender. And we mop things up. Meanwhile, at the front, uh, the plan that Volkov had is you guys, I will cause a distraction while you, the rest of your group, goes in and takes actually takes the airfield. So Volkov rolls up with his BTRs and has the coaxial machine guns open fire on the two guards at the gate there. He kills them. And then people are running out and, and putting their hands up for surrender. Some group surrenders to the Marines. Some group surrenders to the tank. There's a couple survivors that surrender to the Polish army men and the Spapanzer looks rolling up. And well, Volkov, those men that go out there surrender, but Volkov opens fire upon them, seemingly well, taking out at least three. A couple seem to survive the, the shots from the, uh, the medium, the general purpose machine gun that he uses. Uh, Kasha is incensed and goes to run for help or run to help those men who were downed. And uh, that is where we left it. With the airfield taken, Operation Heinz Cradle is a success. However, there might be tension between Kasha and Captain Volkov, who just seems kind of angry right now. I mean, he did try to take the airfield before and failed, and these people killed some of his men, so there could be that. But these men were surrendering, so I think all the other parties are kind of, even the the, Pol the would-be Polish army allies of these Soviet troops are kind of shocked that as these men are surrendering, you're gunning them down execution style. So not too happy with him. But again, a very well-executed operation. I mean, it seemed that the roles just totally went their way. They're, I mean, maybe I had them roll more times than they needed to, uh, but every time they were, these players were challenged with the role, Yes, they're pretty damn competent, but they made their roles. I mean, sometimes it does not go your way. I thought taking the tank was beautiful. Uh, taking out the leader was ruthless and efficient. Um, it was just a well-executed plan. And even though plans don't always work, it's always the planning, right? That's important. And I think this team, this group planned excellently. And the operation worked. It was pretty cool. I don't know what else there is to say. I think it's just in conclusion. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna end the podcast here, but I say in conclusion, there are really inclusion of this operation or discussion of this operation. There are kind of three ways that you can play Twilight 2000. There's a cool video 
that I'll link in the show notes as well, uh, where you can get an overview of Twilight 2000 in the game. It's not a very long video, but it actually is kind of neat. It gives a history of the game, the history, the early history of, of Game Designs Workshop who developed the game in the 80s, the history of the game and its incarnations, well, specifically first and second edition and then fourth edition that kind of skipped third the third edition of the 2013 version. But then they talk about the history of the war, which is extremely important, I think, and kind of cool to give you uh, the context of the game. But within there, there's this discussion of what, how, or what style of play can you do in Twilight 2000. I really feel there's two, two, three things you can kind of do in Twilight 2000. You can make it a survival game where you have a small group of people, maybe with one vehicle, kind of exploring and trying to survive and eke out a living in war-torn Europe with the goal eventually to get home to the um, collapsed U.S. Um, or the rumor that they've heard. And there definitely is a path you can go on with all the adventures that they made for the first edition of Twilight 2000. There's a path that takes you on that journey, which is kind of neat. And we've been playing through at least the first tetralogy of that, like I mentioned. So the second way is that you can work to rebuild. And I think the rebuilding is what this group is mainly doing, is they're conducting operations, have a big cadre of allies, have made friends and influenced people in various locations uh, to get this, to get these groups together to try to stop the marauding, to take out big-time marauders and would-be warlords. And the, and the other way is conquest, which similarly, you've got to make friends and allies, and you just push out the boundaries of your catonment and try to conquer the surrounding countryside. So both of those other, the second two, while the first two is more of a traditional game, the second two are kind of big picture domain play. And that's kind of what I really like. I like big picture, big games, games where the players feel like they've done something in the world. And I think that's kind of cool. So uh, without further comment, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have any comments or questions, you can send me a voice message or an email at geomologist at gmail.com. I have a spike, peep, spike speak pipe link in the show notes that you can send me a, about a 90-second message. You can also try to send me a message via Spotify for podcasters using that uh, method. You can just send me a, a text through the Discord, too. But uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening. Good night. And good rolling. Oh, I titled this Love is a Battlefield, maybe inspired by the Pat Benatar song of the same name from 1983. And uh, before TJ's wonderful music, TJ does the intro and outro music, TJ Drennan that is, and uh, my wife usually does the cover art, but I might have different cover art uh, today. I am not sure yet. Don't quote me on that. But there's about a 30 second clip or so from Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield. Then after that, TJ will take us out. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Good night and good rolling.